Bueno.
And I was like, wow, this is an amazing book. The more I read, the more technology I began to see correlating with current times, the more quantum physics and quantum mechanics, classical physics, uh, spirituality, you know, philosophy. And of course, I could see then where all religions got their information. <laughs> they got a lot of it from the, from the Emerald Tablets. So I wrote a compendium about the Emerald Tablets. And that's what this book is. It's a compendium. It's a breaking down of the knowledge and the wisdom in the tablets. And I include the tablets in here. I also include the Emerald Tablet of Hermes, which is a single tablet that he also wrote. And that tablet's on display at Cambridge in the UK. The Emerald Tablets of Thoth are located underneath the Vatican in the Vatican Archive. One day we're going to get in that, in that, to the, into that Vatican. <laughs> we're going to get those books, that knowledge that they're hoarding down there in the Vatican. They're hoarding five miles worth of knowledge underground at the Vatican. Their own personal kingdom that they have there. I'm going to do a whole video podcast on the Vatican and the, and the archives and the popes the white Pope and the black Pope. And I don't mean black skin like a black man or African. I mean the black Pope, a Pope that you probably never even heard of before that exists. The super Jesuit general that controls the world. I'm going to do a whole podcast on that, but that's for another night. All right. That's for another night. But tonight we're going to go into the Emerald Tablets and I'm going to be reading from the compendium of the Emerald Tablets. I'll drop a link here. If you guys don't have this book, there's a reason why it's a bestseller all over the world. Let me see if I can find it here. Find you a quick link. Let me just type in Billy Carson on Amazon real quick and drop you guys a link. The forward to the book was written by Jimmy Church from Jimmy Church Radio. So thank you, Jimmy Church. Shout out to Jimmy Church for writing the forward to the book. All right, and I'm going to drop the link to it right now in the live chat so that you guys can get access to it. If you're on Twitter and I'm live on Twitter, just go to Amazon.com and type in my name. The book should pop right up. Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. All right, so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm actually going to pull up a power, not, not a PowerPoint, I'm going to pull up a PDF file of the book. I'm going to go through some certain sections where I'm mentioning Jesus. Now, Jesus is not the real name of the person um, being described in the Bible. The Bible is using a false name, using a very false name. All right. Let me read this quick comment here by Enlightened 369. Thanks for the donation. It says, broke out of the religious prison long ago, and your book was a catalyst. Thank you for getting the message out. Thank you, Enlightened 369. I appreciate you. And thank you for taking the time and the energy and effort to put into freeing yourself from that mental prison because I can only open a door. You have to walk through it alone. So I'm going to pull up a PDF of the book. And again, like I said, Jesus is not the real name. That's a fabricated name. Name That name is fake. More of a, more of a modern name. Matter of fact, the J didn't even exist until more recently. So it was really Asus is what they were calling out. Asus at the time that they were putting this canonized text together, this book together, this curated re, re, uh, remix of information. And Asus is Hail Zeus. That's what they're saying in ancient tongue, Hail Zeus. So every time you call on, on, on the name of Jesus, when you call on the name of Jesus, 
you are actually saying hail Zeus. You're not calling on, you know, the divine God King that you think you're calling on, uh, the son of, you know, the creator of the universe. You're calling on Zeus, you know, an ancient character from Greece that actually is not a, a, a myth. Zeus is actually one of the original Sumerian pantheon. And that's a whole other podcast get into the names from the original pantheon of Sumeria got renamed to the Greek. That's how they do it. You know, the Greek always come in and re they rename everybody. They rename Thoth to Hermes, right? Now, Thoth, T-H-O-T-H, he's uh, considered uh, Atlantean priest king. He ruled over the land of Egypt for 16,000 years, according to the ancient Egyptians, not according to Billy Carson. According to the ancient Egyptians, he ruled for 16,000 years. And that's actually... Not a long period of time compared to some of the people who ruled in the Sumerian kings list. Some of those kings ruled for 28,800 years. One person, right? One person. Elvis says, do the ancient tablets speak about resting on the seventh day? <laughs> Great question, uh, Elvis. They don't, they, they don't talk about resting on the seventh day in particular. They actually talk about um, a completion on the seventh day and then from there of course you know the remix begins so tonight we're going to go into this i'm going to pull down this pdf file uh and i'm going to share my screen and i'm going to start searching so that we can actually get into this thing all right uh kevin hawkins says mr carlson actually it's carson c-a-r-s-o-n you said the earth broke apart from tiamat does that mean Earth is not round? No, the Earth is round. The Earth is uh, a round object. It's not a flat object. All planets and moons in the entire universe are spheres. Are they perfect circles? Are they perfect spheres? No, that's impossible. They all have slightly different shapes, but they're not floating disks in the sky. Quantum physics and classical physics have proved that that's actually impossible due to accretion. And so if you study classical physics, and quantum physics, you'll find that everything in the universe creates spheres. Everything is a fractal. All right. Uh, I'm going to answer this last question, and I'm going to get into this book. So, detailer says, hi, Billy, can you segment speaking on the subject of mediums and clairvoyance? I'll come back to that one at the end of this. We have a medium that actually is on the Forbidden Knowledge Podcast Network, Courtney Kane Sides. Her podcast is Wednesdays at 8 o'clock, and she's amazing. Actually, clairvoyance and mediumship is supposed to be an actual standard, standard uh, thing that everyone can do. It's just another one of your sensory perceptors. But we've been slightly disconnected from that. Some people are more sensitive to it than others and have the capability of sensing what seemed to be almost impossible. But they're tapping into an etherical realm and they're tapping into records that exist through energetic fields. Um, and I'm going to talk about the science behind that, the quantum physics behind that. All right, let me get into these tablets, all right? Let me get into these tablets. It's going to be a great night, and I'm going to share my screen and pull up this. Uh, let me pull up this PDF file here. Let me see what window it's in. Here we go. Customize and save with Liberty Mutual. Squawk. That's Lemu's line. That's Lemu's line. All right, let me just make sure it's shown properly. Yes, it is. All right, great. So, this is the inside of the book. 
Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. <clears throat> Which, by the way, I'll be doing a full read of this book, but it won't be on Kindle. And the reason why it will not be on Kindle is because Kindle doesn't pay any money. They keep all the money. And because they don't pay any money, I'm not doing Kindle because Kindle um, is a way to short circuit the authors from all the hard work, effort, and energy that they put out into the universe to create the content. And so it's just like Spotify and Apple Music and everybody else, you know, they pay point zero 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 six uh per spin, you know, and things like that. And you have people who work a year to make one album and they end up getting like a check for $38 for the year. So <laughs> I'm not playing that kind of game. Uh, and so I'm going to read the book and I'm going to do each chapter, <clears throat> just 15 chapters. Each chapter is going to be an episode. And that's going to, plus all of my, uh, you know, my interjection and my, my hypothesis and my theories and philosophy along with it. And so each chapter will be an episode uh, of, an, of a series on Forbidden Knowledge TV. You can listen to it by just pressing play and let it run as an audio. You don't have to, you don't have to look at the screen or you can actually watch it. It's up to you, but it's going to be produced and put up on Forbidden Knowledge TV exclusively. And so if you want to listen to the book or watch me read the book and with some extra video graphics and image graphic graphics, you'll be able to you'll be able to watch it on Forbidden Knowledge TV. So get the TV app. It's 4BK.TV for the number four, right? On um, and I'm gonna type this in the chat right quick before I start on the web. 4BK.TV. Or you can go to Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Samsung TV, iOS App Store, or the Google Play Store and just type in Forbidden Knowledge TV, Forbidden Knowledge, number four, Forbidden Knowledge TV on those app stores and download the free app. And then you can subscribe and get a free trial. Okay? But that's what we're doing. That is exactly what we are doing. All right, let me get back to this file. <clears throat> I have to look around the TV now because the file fell down behind the uh, <laughs> behind this camera. Hold on a second, guys. All right, here we go. Now. Let me pull up the tablets here. And again, guys, make sure you guys share this video. Make sure you share the video, please. We want people to get this knowledge. People need to hear what I'm talking about. They need to learn that there's more information out there than what they've been given. And that what they have been following is not exactly what they thought it was. Okay? <clears throat> so, Compendium of the Animal Tablets... Let me read a couple of quotes here from some important people that actually reviewed this book. We have Eric Von Daniken. Eric Von Daniken is a living legend. He's a great grandfather of the ancient astronaut theory. He's traveled the world hundreds of times. His book has been translated. Chariots of the Gods has been translated into over 
80 different languages and he has over 80 million copies sold worldwide. He sparked a lot of brains when he came out with that in the late 60s. Sparked a lot of brains. Since then, he's been a multi-time, multi-time best-selling author in many books regarding ancient civilizations and archaeology. The man is a living legend. And he said, I'm so impressed with your work and your research. It was a pleasure. Eric Von Daniken, Chariots of the Gods. And of course, you know, Jimmy Church today. Billy Carson brings to our community the Companion of the Animal Tablets. Finally, we are able to dive deeper into the meaning of what Thoth really intended for us to know, to explore and discover what is truly important about ourselves and the world around us. George Nuri, uh, he's a three-time Emmy-winning radio host, and he's also in the Radio Hall of Fame. And uh, George Nuri says, Billy Carson is an amazing researcher that I, that I have admired for a very long time. I mean, I can go on and on and on here. So lots of great praise for the book. Lots of great, great praise for the book. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a search for Jesus. Just start there, right? And we'll start right here. So right now I'm on page, let's see what page, I'm on page 17. In the Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, page 17. And let's go down here. <clears throat> All right. Let's start right above this paragraph where Jesus is highlighted. It says, the Book of the Dead recorded that the god Thoth was a designer and a builder of the Great Pyramid. Now, the Book of the Dead predates the modern-day Bible even though a lot of text in the Book of the Dead made it into the Bible. Proverbs and everything else, right? Isn't it interesting that a book that's thousands of years older than biblical texts has the same exact words in it, same exact statements in it? Interesting. So the Book of the Dead recorded that Thoth, the god Thoth was a designer and builder of the Great Pyramid. These words were carved into some stone at the very dawn of civilization on planet Earth. Elements that the same story also appear in the pyramid texts that date to around 2450 BC and presented in context that suggested their ancient age. And so what we have as well is the fact that the emerald tablets that Thoth wrote, which are inside of my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, in one of the opening verses he says builded i the great pyramid builded i the great pyramid matter of fact that's very important let's let's come right back to this and let's just take a quick peek at that okay let's take a quick peek at that this is very interesting i'm gonna put build it Okay, so Thoth says, build it I, the Great Pyramid. I don't after the Pyramid of Earth Force. And that's really important, what he just said there. Let me stop right there. Build it I, the Great Pyramid, pattern after the Pyramid of Earth Force. Now, Earth Force is the gravitational field and the electromagnetic field, and the pattern after the Pyramid of Earth Force. We know that Earth itself is also an archetype of a pyramid. As a matter of fact, if you take the Great Pyramid at Giza and you scale it up 43,200 times, 
it will fit perfectly into the sphere of Earth itself. It will touch all three points. And so we know that the Great Pyramid itself is a perfect representation of the size of the Earth scaled at 432, which is a frequency that we know is a healing frequency in cymatic frequencies in music, right? Isn't that interesting? Then it says, burning eternally so that it too might remain through the ages. Burning eternally. There's a paya inside the center of pyramids. It's the, the heart of the pyramid generates this energetic source that we find through different types of uh, scans. And we know that at the center of most pyramids, you have this, there's this what they call a paya, which is this fire that persists inside the pyramid structures. It's this energetic life force that exists, and you can feel it when you go inside the pyramid. If you come with me to Egypt, this October, last year, we took 70 people to Egypt, and we all went into the Great Pyramid, and we climbed up into the king's chamber, and we did a mass meditation, a chant, our own chant meditation inside the king's chamber for about almost an hour. It was mind-blowing. If you want to have that opportunity, you got to come with us. I'm going to drop you the link right quick as I'm uh, talking about this, because this, uh, we only have, I think, five seats left for October. Okay, five seats left. <clears throat> Workshops invest. Okay, 10-day tour. Here we go. So let me drop this in the chat right quick for you. If you want to go to Egypt and have that opportunity, you go. All right, now let me get back to where I was real quick. He says, pattern after the pyramid of earth force, burning eternally so that it too might remain through the ages. In it, I build it my knowledge of magic science. He says, inside of there, inside the pyramid, he hid the magic science, which is which translates into advanced technology. We know that the Great Pyramid is a multifunctional stone computer capable of computing an enormous amount of astrological uh, and physical data. And so it's also a star map and everything else. It's all built into the Great Pyramid. I can go on and on and on, but that's going to be a totally separate podcast that I'll get into. When you calculate all the different angles, I've gone through all these numbers dozens and dozens of times and I've come up with all the calculations and all this is in the book as well. But I wanted to let you guys know that the fact is that the Egyptian Book of the Dead, written thousands of years after the Emerald Tablets, but thousands of years before the Bible confirmed that both built the Great Pyramid. I thought that was very important. Back to Jesus. Let's get back here for 42. I want to get back to this one area here. <laughs> Let's do it this way. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Jesus is a special subject that we will focus upon more than once throughout the book. The flight into Egypt is a biblical event described in Matthew 2, 13 through 23. 
The Magi learned that King Herod intended to murder the infants within that area, and soon after, Joseph saw an angel in a dream which told him to flee to Egypt with Mary and his infant son, Jesus, also known as the accurate name, Yeshua. I'm using Jesus in the book because it relates to people's minds a little bit easier, but we know it's actually Yeshua. And so this is a very important statement here because we know that in Matthew, all of a sudden, Jesus disappears from the Gospels at the age of 12. Where does he go? We know that he goes to Egypt because the Bible says he did. And guess what we find in Egypt? We find that Jesus was actually there. Not only was he there, but we know that the house he lived in still stands It's a shrine now in Coptic Cairo, which you will visit with me when you come with me in October to Egypt. All right, if you come in on a tour, you're going to get a chance to walk and look at the actual bed that Yeshua slept in when he left and fled and went to Egypt with his mom. Okay, it's still there. It's a shrine that people, you know, come there every single day from all over the world to see this, 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 uh, this shrine inside of this Coptic church. The house has been converted into a Coptic church, basically. But it's still there. Pretty amazing place to go see. Um, and, you know, it lets you know that this person, this entity, really did exist in the physical form. It wasn't just some kind of thought thing. It wasn't that, no, it was real. This was a real person. For those of you who were wondering, this was a real person that existed with flesh and blood. He put on his pants one, one leg at a time, just like we did, okay? Pretty interesting. Now he was a virgin birth. How do we know about the, uh, you know, the time he spent in Egypt? Well, there's this book called the Gospel of the Holy Twelve, and I have these gospels as well. They're very little known, hard to find gospel. The Gospel of the Holy Twelve. I'll put it on the screen right there. The Gospel of the Holy Twelve by S. G. J. Ausley. Now, what's interesting is these these scriptures were omitted from the Bible. In other words, these 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 verses they were left out. It tells you of Jesus where he was and where he went when he disappeared from the biblical text at the age of twelve thirty two. He went to Egypt to learn what the Egyptian mysteries from who who was the original creator of the mystery schools, though the Atlantean priest king. This could be why, when you see as I go through this, his words are extremely similar to those words of Thoth written in what? In the Emerald Tablets, the same words that are recorded by him as him speaking in the New Testament of the Bible. Pretty interesting. He then leaves out of Egypt as he gets a little older, and he goes up into Tibet. What does he go to Tibet to do? He goes to learn... Reiki healing and Qigong healing with his hands and his body and energetic, how to move energy throughout the body, which is confirmed by the Dalai Lama in modern times. The newest Dalai Lama has confirmed this. And then he heads down into India to learn the mystic arts and teaching reincarnation all the way back down into Egypt. Then at the age of 32, the Bible picks up again and says, I call my son out of Egypt. And then he turns up in Jerusalem riding in the back of a donkey, right? We know this story. Not everybody knows the story because not everybody is studied like they're supposed to. All right. So pretty interesting. 
the gospel of the holy 12 let me just check amazon real quick and see what the price is on that because it varies when they have them in stock or not um and you know sometimes you can find a copy for 600 700 bucks they're out of uh, they're out of print there's 12 spelled out not the one with the number 12 it's the one with 12 spelled all the way out uh they don't have it now it's out right now again when, it, when somebody puts a used one up they go very quick they're usually like you know seven eight hundred dollars or something like that i, I think i spent more because i had one that was almost mint okay it was almost in mint condition all right so pretty interesting <clears throat> let me get back into this again just let me get back into this uh pdf file I'm doing this blind because the screen is behind the, the camera. So I'm trying to get back to, there we go. All right, got it. So I've told you that Jesus is a huge subject in this script. Now, the Great Pyramid of Egypt has been and still is a temple of initiation into the mysteries. Gnostic texts, such as the first Apocalypse of James, which you probably never heard of, were likely banned because of their different understanding of Jesus's importance. They understood Jesus much more in terms of being a revealer of human wisdom, explains Brent Landau, a religious studies lecturer at the University of Texas at Austin, who presented the findings at the Society of Biblical Literature annual meeting in Boston, November 2017, the first Apocalypse of James manuscript is from the Nag Hammadi Library at Oxford University. Okay, Again, I always bring you guys the receipts. I always bring the receipts. I always bring the receipts. That's one thing that's going to be guaranteed. You're going to get the receipts. If you see this image right here, this image on the screen, Excuse me. This image is where Jesus' uh, shrine is. So this is the house that he lived in, which has now been converted into an actual church. <clears throat> On the left-hand upper left corner, that is the area where the bed's located. You'll see that when you come to Egypt with me. You see on the right side where the, the candle is, his name engraved into a steel plate, a bra, uh, copper plate that's right underneath the window. <clears throat> Him and his mom's name is there. And then you see the church pews and everything else, which has been built around <clears throat> the shrine. They've converted this into a Coptic church in old Cairo. These are the living quarters, the former living quarters of Jesus, AKA Yeshua. And this image, these images and photos were taken by me on my own camera. Okay. On my own camera. <clears throat> so <clears throat> let's see what we got here. Many believe the Emerald Tablets of Thoth are the source of material for the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. If you read, <coughs> if you read the Apocrypha text, you will find out that Jesus was a student of the Egyptian mysteries and he taught reincarnation and meditation. Yes, Jesus taught reincarnation and meditation. This is what this. You have to read the Apocrypha text. Let me see. Do I have the Apocrypha here in front of me? No, I have the Book of Enoch, and it's upstairs in my other library, but. Listen to me. The Apocrypha have so much revealing information in them, it will blow your mind. All right? 
section 5 that Jesus was a student of the Egyptian mysteries. He taught reincarnation and meditation. I know this to be true because on my last trip to Cairo, that's me, I visited the Coptic church where Jesus and his mother lived while there. They lived under the church in the basement. The Council of Nicaea in 325 AD omitted that information from the canonized Bible. I have included photos that I took in May 2014 of the living place of Jesus and his mother in Egypt, which you just saw those photos. <clears throat> it is still kept as a memorial until now. The biblical story of the birth of Jesus is about the sun and planetary alignments. The real person named Yeshua, a.k.a. Jesus, is actually Thoth or the son of Thoth. I'll tell you how I come up with this. I'll tell you how I come up with this understanding. So, okay. When you look at the Apocrypha text, you discover something amazing happens. You discover that Jesus' grandmother, Mary's mother, is also a virgin birth. They didn't teach you that in Bible study, did they? <laughs> they didn't teach you that. You discover this when you do deeper research. And so why would the mother of Mary be a virgin birth? It seems as if someone was establishing a particular bloodline. We know that bloodline to be the Merovingian bloodline, the bloodline of Christ. That bloodline is still walking the planet till this very day. And I'll get to that in a second. Now, when you take a, a person and you, uh, a woman, I'm sorry, a woman, and you insert an egg into her womb at the right time, it's called creating a zygote and then doing in vitro fertilization. You can then create a baby growing in that womb with no sexual intercourse. This is not the first time it's happened in ancient texts. I mean, there's an ancient text that goes even further back in Sumeria, where Isis takes an egg out of a woman, <clears throat> puts the egg, adds some genetic material to it, puts the egg in her own womb, takes it to term for 10 months, and gives birth to Adamu, which means first man. The uh, some, In some cases, they call him Adapa, but it's Adamu or Adapa, it doesn't matter. It both means first man. Now, again, this is in vitro fertilization happening in ancient tablets. Why would they make this stuff up if it didn't really happen? At that time, Isis created the first Adam, not the first human. There were already people here, according to the tablets. But the most perfected version of a homo sapien sapien came out of her womb, which starts the generations of Isis, the Genesis, the Genesis. Genesis in the Bible are the generations of Isis, okay? In case you didn't know. Now, this is why they took and America took and named the, uh, you know, that uh, terrorist organization after ISIS. They try to, they try to defame. Everyone tries to turn, you know, to create these negative mindsets over these ancient names. You know, like in the ghetto, you have thoughts. So they took the name Thoth and turned it into thought, which means something totally nasty and crazy. <clears throat> Everyone wants to take stuff that's sacred and turn it into garbage. All right. Thanks for the donation, guys. I'm going to go, go back to those donations shortly. I got to stay on this PDF for a minute. So, <clears throat> let's see. I have included the photos, like I said before, that took in May 2014 of the living place of Jesus and his mother. 
which is still a memorial to this very day. The real person named Yeshua is actually Thoth or the son of Thoth, in my personal opinion. More recently, the biggest discovery is a writing called the Gospel of the Holy Twelve or the Gospel of Jesus' Wife. Now, the Gospel of Jesus' Wife is actually located in Harvard Seminary School. It's actually in Harvard Seminary. And what this book says is that Jesus got married. <laughs> Never got crucified. As a matter of fact, the Sinai Bible which is which predates the King James version of the Bible, there was never a crucifixion. It didn't happen. It was added to the Bible by the Romans for more control. Interesting. As they combined all their pagan and non-pagan holidays and everything else into one book, they decided if we get the people under this one roof, instead of fighting them, we can keep them under this one thing and we can take their money every week. We can make them pay taxes. We can make them send us offerings. We can make them send us all their food and their they're dead animals, so we can cook them and eat them. And so that's what they decided to do. Pretty interesting. So it says here, <clears throat> yes, Jesus was married and had children. His bloodline still walks earth till this very day. Behind me are photos that I took in May 2014, which I showed you already. A well-known story in the East recounts Jesus was a student of the mystery schools, and upon leaving there, he traveled to Tibet. He learned energetic healing and meditation. This is not me. This is not off my dome. This is coming up out of ancient texts and ancient, ancient records that already existed long before, thousands of years before the Bible was written. The Bible was written in 100 AD to 900 AD, long after the people were already dead, gone, bye-bye. History, they were gone. They weren't here. There was nobody walking alongside Jesus saying, say that one more time, I want to make sure I get it right. Matter of fact, the disciples themselves were actually illiterate men. They couldn't read or write. They couldn't read or write. The Bible wasn't put together the way that you think it was put together. People began to discover a lot of ancient texts and tablets in different caves and archaeological dig sites. And they started putting them together. They started capturing them and creating this cache of ancient information. And then they started at some point trying to get as many of them into an organized format, you know, on a calendar scale. And then they wanted to try to create a book out of it. And so they decided what to take out and what to keep. And eventually they came up with, this is what we're going to go with. And this is what we're going to plagiarize. This is what we're going to remix. And that became your Bible. Okay? That's how you got it. Those are just facts or facts. There's no way to hide from it. In the information age, ignorance is an excuse. All right? All right, here we go. Many of you believe that the Emerald Tablets of Thoth are the source material for the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. If you read the Apocrypha text, you will discover that Jesus was a student of the Egyptian mysteries and he taught reincarnation and meditation. And so when you go in here, it says, I have included photos, which I showed you before. There's more photos in the book. You can check it out on my book. But here's where it gets really important. When you start getting into this information here, the next page is this chapter here. The next chapter, I'm sorry. The History of Thoth the Atlantean. Emerald tablet number one. 
And again here, in this chapter, I will establish a true source of the teachings of Jesus. It appears that most of his biblical teachings and statements come directly from the Emerald Tablets. This also points to the possibility that Jesus may be Thoth or the son of Thoth. Right here you see this labyrinth. This image that you're looking at right here before I get into the text, this was discovered underneath the sands at Giza where the Great Pyramid is located. The lost labyrinth of Egypt is without a doubt one of those incredible ancient sites that are a lost jewel in today's history. These are the halls of Amenti located underneath the Great Pyramid. The same halls of Amenti that Thoth says in the Emerald Tablets that he built underneath the Great Pyramid. Well, they were discovered a few years ago. They're there. There's also a second halls of Amenti, which I took 70 people to last year in October. And we got inside of the rejuvenation chambers. I showed them where they exist underneath the sands of Saqqara. If you want to go and see this for yourself, get inside of one of these rejuvenation chambers that exist in the halls of Amenti. You have to come in October to Egypt. It's going to be an amazing trip. Drop the link in here one more time. There's only a few spots left for that tour. Okay, only a few spots left for the tour. <clears throat> now, Shop over 3,000 styles starting at just $6. iBuyDirect.com. Let's get to the next section here. Here's where it gets interesting. Thoth says, not as the little men of the present age did, the mighty ones of Atlantis live and die, but rather from eon to eon did they renew their life in the halls of Amenti, where the river of life flows eternally onward. Now, the halls of Amenti is a place where, according to Thoth, he would have these bodies inside of these rejuvenation chambers, and he would transfer his consciousness into new bodies so he can walk amongst men, but unlike a man. Jesus says in the New Testament, the book of John 738, he that believes in me out of his being shall flow the river of living water. Halls of Amenti, where the river of life flows eternally. Same exact statement. It's the same exact statement. There's no difference there. Not one difference. Understand here that men of Kim, or oh, let me go up to this, this verse above first. A hundred times ten, if I descended in the dark way that led to light, and as many times as I have ascended from the darkness into the light, my strength and power have been renewed. Now for a time I descend, and the men of Kim shall know me no more. Understand here that the men of Kim refers to the people of Egypt, because Kemet is ancient Egypt. Yet notice that we get our word alchemy from this Egyptian name. There are other interesting statements made by the writer Thope. He says that he descended into the halls of Amenti, where there are regeneration chambers. Certainly, we can understand the concept of cellular regeneration. He says he has spent a total of 10,000 years, because he says he's done it 100 times 10, regenerating his avatar over the course of many eons. Both also refers to the river of life, stating, I began this incarnation from eon to eon, where the river of life flows eternally onward. Remember how Jesus makes the same reference in John 7:38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of flowing, rivers of living water shall flow from within. <clears throat> Let 
The more we read the Tavis, we realize readily that the connection between Dope and Jesus is there. I believe that this is very possible, and they are one in the same. That's my own hypothesis. But in the time you're unborn, will I rise again? Dope says, mighty and potent, requiring an accounting of those left behind me. Another interesting statement made by Thoth many thousands of years before Jesus tells his disciples that he will rise again. Okay. It's interesting that Jesus says the same thing in Mark 9.31. He says the same exact thing in Mark 9.31. He says he's going to rise again. Let's go back up here a little bit. Hard work in this PDF file. <laughs> If ye have falsely betrayed my teaching, for one, for, for I shall cast ye down from your high estate into darkness of the caves from whence ye came. Betray not my secrets to the men of the north, to the men of the south. Lest my curse fall upon ye. Remember and heed my words, for surely I will return again. And require of thee that which ye guard. I, even from beyond time, from beyond death, will I return, rewarding or punishing, as ye have requited your trust. Interesting. In the biblical text of John 14, 20, Jesus says, Jesus declares to his followers, I go away and come again unto you. Tell no one the son of man be risen again. Now here's interesting. Jesus calls himself numerous times the son of man in the biblical text. What does Thoth call himself in the Emerald Tablets? He calls himself the son of Atlantis, and he also calls himself the son of man many, many times. The son of man. Interesting. They both call themselves son of man. Thoth <clears throat> says, for surely I will come again, betray not my secrets. The Bible also teaches of a judgment day, everyone the still living and resurrected dead will face God's judgment. Even those who profess Christianity will find judgment through the deeds they have done in life. According to Matthew 7, 21 through 23 and Corinthians 5, 10, those who have lived righteous lives will be granted eternal life. Those who have lived evil lives will be condemned to eternal punishment. This record appears in several biblical passages, including Matthew 5, 29 to 30, 25 to 31 through uh, 25, 31 through 46, and Mark 9, 43 through 48. Again, these statements are very reminiscent of the same thing stated by Thoth over 36,000 years ago. It, Jesus Christ, sometimes referred to as Yeshua, teach reincarnation. The answer is yes. He taught reincarnation. Okay. Additionally, reincarnation appears in the Old Testament. Read the last words of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before coming of the great day of the dreadful, before coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. Least I come and smite the earth with a curse. Here God is speaking through Malachi. That's Malachi 4, 5 through 6. He was a famous prophet, often quoted by great leaders throughout history, including U.S. presidents, Donald Trump, and many others, and actually saying Elijah is going to come again. Now we find that Jesus making the same statement. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, among them that are born of women, that 
there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Matthew 11, 11. We're talking about a person who's coming, who's here, dies in some form or way, and it comes back again within the same time frame as a different person. Still having the same attributes. We're talking about a form of reincarnation, or are they just changing bodies like Thoth says in the Emerald Tablets? Then he says, and if ye will receive it, this is Elias which was for to come, Matthew eleven fourteen, meaning his coming was prophesied. Therefore, Jesus said he came, he was beheaded. They did with him what they did, what they could. And so they will have to do me. And we're talking about the fact that this guy came and he, and he, he came back again. And Jesus is saying the same thing is going to happen to me. I'm going to get killed and then I'm going to come back again. Are we, we just going to keep coming. How, how are they coming back? What are they coming? How, how are they doing this? Could it be some form of technology that we're not familiar with, spiritual technology? Could it be that they are really using what both talked about the Emerald Tablets? We know that Jesus was teaching reincarnation nonstop in the Gospel of the Holy Twelve and also in the biblical text when you really analyze what he's been saying. He's talking about coming back over and over again in the third dimension, in a body. Scriptures concerning the coming again of Elijah flow so prominently through the Bible that anyone uh, can accept the fact that they appear within the context of an already established canon. If reincarnation is so important, why is it not taught in the West? Some religious leaders have attempted to control people using fear tactics by saying, you know, if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're going to go to hell, which we know is added to the Bible by the Catholic Church. I think the early church fathers feared that if people understood reincarnation, they wouldn't go to church, but would just have a hand at the father and say, well, I'll go into my next life. Right? People would be like, hey, you know, I, I messed up here. Let me, try, let me start fresh again. The Apostle Paul teaches the Corinthians, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, we're talking about the avatar body, right? That is when we die and leave this earthly body. We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put our heavenly bodies on like new clothing. This is biblical text I'm reading. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. This is the Bible. We will not be spirits without bodies. We're talking about physical bodies. We're talking about physical form. People saying, oh, we're going to this place and it's going to be. No, you're coming back in a body, a physical body. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan. Sorry. It's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. So again, like I said before, there's more teaching of reincarnation in the biblical text than anything. The idea that John uh, had been Elias, so John had been two different people within a certain period of time. <laughs> he, he was, one person died, he came back as another person. And that the prophets could relive again on earth, is to be found in many passages of the New Testament, but is most notably quoted in Matthew 16, 13 through 17, Luke 9, 7 through 9, and Matthew 17, 10 through 13, 
if this is an erroneous belief, Jesus would have combated it and did not and, and did many others, as did many others. But from this, he gave complete sanction and authority by making it a basic principle of necessary condition by adding, no one may reach the kingdom of God if he is not born again. In John 3, 3. Furthermore, insisting such when he added in John 3, 7, do not be surprised when I say it is necessary to be born again. Born again. Where does the term matrix come from? The term matrix comes from the Bible. That comes from the biblical text. Matter of fact, let me pull it up right quick. Let me pull that up right quick. The matrix. Bible. Let's just pull this up right quick. You got to be born. You got to come through the womb. Exodus 13, 12. Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast. The male shall be the Lord's. All right. Exodus 13, 15. Here goes another one. Uh, Exodus 13, uh, 34, 19. All that openeth the matrix is mine. Every firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is the male. Here's an interesting verse, though. Let's see if I can pull it up here. Numbers 13, uh, Numbers 3, 12. And, and I behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of all the firstborn that openeth the matrix among the children of Israel, therefore the Levites shall be mine. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. The matrix is all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. The Bible also says in here, says in here that you must be born through the matrix because the matrix is a womb. What are we talking about? We're talking about being born again, which you've heard me talk about many, many times. You must be born again. And it ain't be becoming born again by praying to some exterior deity and begging him to forgive you of your sins. It comes through raising your level of consciousness to a higher level and realizing that you've grown consciously to another level and looking back on your previous level and saying, wow, I've been born again. And you'll be born again many, many times within this same lifetime, as I always say. Let me pull this thing back up again. so much information i can go on this i can go on for hours and hours and hours but let me let me get in here <clears throat> one second here around reincarnation Jesus is some way a bloodline because we know of this 
this virgin birth, like I said earlier, to establish a bloodline. Mary then gives a virgin birth. The grandmother gives a virgin birth. The grandmother was a virgin birth. Then Mary comes, right? Then Jesus is now a virgin birth. What is this bloodline being established and why? Is someone using the same technique that ISIS used in the Sumerian tablets to create an, a, a bloodline so that Yeshua could come through that specific line? Is this an experimental way of coming back as a human being through the womb instead of becoming a fully formed grown man every time you, re you reincarnate because those claim to have the power to reincarnate at will? Did he utilize a particular technique to come through the womb of a woman or a human and then regain all of his memories and grow up more potent and more powerful? Or was Jesus simply a student of both the Atlantean priest king of his ancient mystery schools when he went to Egypt to learn the Egyptian mysteries according to the Gospels of the Holy Twelve. You see? It's a conundrum. It's either one of the two because the Animal Tabits is 36,000 years old and then Jesus is saying all the stuff that's being said in here over and over again. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? That's my question. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? God says, I sent for me the sons of Atlantis. I sent them in many directions that from the womb of time, wisdom might rise again in her children. Long dwelt I in the land of Cam, doing great works by the wisdom within me. God sent his crew to all continents to kickstart new civilizations based on the same basic architect and sciences that he taught in the land of Cam. This is why after the great flood happened and knowledge regained the land, everything would spread out from the Kemet all the wisdom can be traced back to ancient Kemet because that's where everything was kickstarted and rebuilt. That was the first source. And then from there, it spread out around the earth. 36,000 year old text says this, not me. Another Bible verse apparently copied from much older text seems to resonate with the words of both in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do the work which God prepared us in advance for us to do. And don't say he who encouraged would dare the dark realms. Let him be purified first by long fasting. Lie in the sarcophagus of my stone in my, in my chamber. He's talking about one of the rejuvenation chambers. Then reveal I to him the great mysteries. Soon shall he flow to where I shall meet him. Even in the darkness of earth shall I meet him. I both, Lord of wisdom, Meet him and hold him and dwell with him always. We're talking about a consciousness connection. Jesus answered to him saying, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Same exact statement. Same exact statement. And then Thoth goes on to say, build it out of the great pyramid. Okay. Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. I mean, I can talk about this stuff for hours and hours and hours. There's so much going in here. There's so much to go in on. I don't want to stop the screen. There we go. There's so much to go in on in these Emerald Tablets and making a lot of comparison between biblical texts. I have like another, I think, 100 comparisons between Sumerian Tablets, the Mahabharata. In the Sumerian Tablets, I have the, uh, well, the, the Mahabharata is, is, a, is an Indian work, but also in the Bhagavad Gita, in the um, Atrahasis epic, in the epic of Gilgamesh, in the Enumi Elish, and more in the um, myth of Adapa, which I'll cover the next time I do part three of this talk. 
I'll show you all the comparisons between all those ancient tablets. All right, all those ancient tablets. And you'll say, wow, this is incredible. <clears throat> so Frank B says, uh, what's up, Billy? Putting together a family tree with timeline. Can you help in the perspective of who became first if you haven't already? I'm actually building this whole, we actually have, a, I can't show it to you because I can't get up, but I have one that's a Guten Morgen. Hey, how you doing? Um, let's see what my research is up to. Do subscriptions. Everybody go subscribe. Thanks for 3 or 4K. Ex-Trump official turns against uh, Diaper Don and MAGA. Michael Cohen digs in. Mayor Kulpa. It's live right now. This is my man Cooper. Women don't have me, but tell you my story. It's not hard to lose belly fat if you do the right things. If you do the wrong things, like a ton of cardio, you're not going to lose the belly fat. I don't run. I don't do crazy amounts of cardio because I know exactly what it does to my body. It makes me hold on to more fat. I was almost a professional athlete in my mid-20s, and I'm in better shape now, and I've got two kids under five. And I do not run. You need something that's easy, simple, doable at home in only seven minutes. That's all it takes. Seven minutes a day, and you can actually start making a huge change in your life. I went from a size 14 down to a two. Oh, wait, 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 what? 14 to a what? A two? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's like a of the federal government committee, as you know, uh, that Jim Jordan is chairing. Um, I was not a member of uh, whatever Justice League this is, uh, as, as, you think, as you might want to call it, um, at the time. And I, I was in government for 20 years. But um, it seems that there is a theory out there where they believe that the government has been basically in cahoots with the social media companies, has been bullying them, has been intimidating them into censoring conservatives on social media that is that is really what's really driving behind this um is that that is the belief and they've taken emails uh from people they've taken uh conversations chats i guess um the thing is uh they haven't ever actually bothered to really ask the individuals in these scenarios or the emails and have these conversations with them directly about the context around that and what was happening. And so I attended the hearing this week, um, as you know, uh, to provide testimony as someone who was actually in the federal government as Mike Pence's Homeland Security Advisor. And I talked about when I did actually call social medias and request that they consider taking something down. Now, what I just said there is the key, right? Consider 
taking something down because ultimately it's up to the social media and their internal policy to decide what they're going to leave on their platform and what they're not. And because it is their first amendment, right. But it, you know, in this scenario with this GOP committee, it's first amendment rights when I guess convenient to their narrative, depending on how they spin it. Right. And that's really kind of how this committee played out. I, I have to tell you, one of the most interesting moments was when someone was going off about someone in the Biden administration, apparently emailing a social media company. And I said, look, I mean, I wasn't there. You should ask that individual what was meant by that, what the situation was. And then I gave an example. I said, look, in my situation, when I called a social media company, I actually can remember a, a scenario where I did. And I requested that brutal ugly, horrific photos of a U.S. missionary that was killed in Africa be taken down so we could notify the next of kin because they were they were circulating all over Twitter, all over Facebook, and the family uh, hadn't been notified yet, and it was being used by the conflict there by two opposition figures in Cameroon. And the ambassador called and said, hey, this is actually creating a diplomatic situation for me as well. And the missionary that was killed was actually the brother of a Republican Indiana legislator. Oh, wow. And that is how that whole connection happened. But, you know, the thing that I tried to stress in that was when I called, I had no idea. I didn't know. It Ultimately, the call was up to them, whether they were going to remove them or not. We requested it. I hoped. I mean, nobody wants to have a family live that and see that horrificness circulating. Um, and that was a hope. But ultimately, it was up to the platform. But here, they did not want to hear that. They were not, they were not having that. Um, they were not exactly pleased with me, me bringing that up. But the other thing that I thought was interesting was that the Canadian journalist who was testifying laid out a litany of things that she is so angry about the Canadian government about and how she, uh, she called herself a time traveler, which is also interesting. And she said, you know, picture me as a time traveler of what's to come in America. At some point in the hearing, I looked at her and I said, everything you described is everything I lived under the Trump administration. I mean, she discussed like using the courts, the judicial system, which never came up on the Republican side. And yet you and I both know how that was used against you. Yeah, so um, it's funny that you say that because first of all, I don't understand. You went before the House Judiciary Committee, correct? Okay, correct. and Jim Jordan, or I should say Jim Bag Jordan, is the chair of that committee as well. Interesting, though, he may have gone to law school, but he never took the bar exam. So, you know, like many people who go to law school, I guess so that they could become a member of Congress or, right, to call themselves, to have a JD after their name. I, I don't know what it is. But it, somewhere at some point in time, there's a purpose that Jim is trying to to create. And I believe that the purpose is to try to find that iron side or that uh, that gotcha moment. Gotcha. For those who don't remember the television show Ironside, at the very end, there was always this big revelation, and that was the end of the case. He was hoping to find something that would prove this weaponization of the Justice Department by the Biden administration against his supreme leader, Donald. And if he doesn't get it, it's almost like all 
just throw as much shit against the wall as you possibly can. Try to spin it so that you do come out with the win in hopes that Donald would give you a pat on the ass and say, you know, good boy, Jim, good boy, right? Because I do truly believe that Jim, with all the nonsense that he's doing, is vying for a cabinet position in the White House in the event that Donald, God forbid a million times, should pull this off. I think he'd probably like to be chief of staff or, you know, he certainly can't be attorney general because he's not a lawyer, um, though not really sure why he's the chair of the judiciary as a non-lawyer, a guy who's never practiced. You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. He's certainly doing the showmanship in the circus in his favor to show just how committed and loyal he is. Uh, and you and I both know that loyalty is only one way when it comes to Donald Trump. So it'll be interesting to what see how is it fucking Jim Bag Jordan. Um, should Donald Trump return? Hopefully not. But I could see him definitely. I mean, either that or he's. While at OSU. Why isn't Jim Beck Jordan indicted for failing to report over 100 cases of sex abuse of minors? Why isn't Jim Beck Jordan indicted for failing to report over 100 cases of sexual abuse against minors? for a cabinet position. Can you imagine what it would be like to have Jim Jordan as Secretary of Defense or something like that? I can't imagine I can't imagine Jim Jordan is the chair of the judiciary or the or any of these other committees that he's sitting on. I just don't Why wasn't he indicted with all the other all. motherfucking traitors about the so called Twitter files for his role right? and the fact that six. why even did Jim Bag Jordan drag you why drag you in for this weaponization of the federal government hearing before the House of Representatives? I mean, there's so many people. If you really want to bring someone in, bring in Elon Musk, right? Or bring in the head of Threads. Or how about even more so, why don't you bring in the head of Truth Social? Well, it was interesting, you know, because... Um... I was actually on the Dem side. I was a Democrat witness as a Republican. Which Why don't the Democrats bring in Bill Barr? The fact that he said that the Democrats have a Republican witness, which is fascinating to hear Jim Jordan himself say this. But I was brought in, though, because I actually have served in the federal government. And that's something, actually, that uh, Congressman Lynch, um, the Democrat from Massachusetts, said in his remarks to them. He said, so there are millions of people that serve in the federal government. Yet you brought back the same two witnesses that you brought back brought up the first time to give almost the same testimony, and you haven't called up any of these other people that might be relevant to really getting to whatever this is that you're trying to get to. He's like, except for we have, we they had me, who the one person on that panel who actually served in the federal government who was trying to explain 
at times when the scenario was played out, what happened. I talked about terrorism, by the way. I talked about the fact that like terrorist use of the internet was often a subject of discussion. We had roundtables with social media. But even then, the discussion was like, well, in the United States, we have the First Amendment and we are limited in how much we can uh, advocate, even when it's a violent uh, live streaming, like the Christchurch shooter, right? He live streamed that event. It was horrific. And that kind of propaganda also leads to other potential violent events. We saw, we saw the mass shooting in El Paso where the shooter referenced some of these theories. Uh, we saw it at the Poway synagogue in San Diego, where he actually referenced a Christchurch shooter. So these are the things that I was trying to like bring to the table and say, if you actually want to have a real conversation about internet and social media, we can talk about this. The other thing that I actually raised, Michael, was let's have a serious conversation about weaponization of the federal government. And I went down a, just a few of the things that Donald Trump did in his presidency. And said, this is what the future looks like. Um, whether it was withholding disaster relief from a state that did not vote in his favor, a blue state per se, like California, withholding wildfires assistance. I talked about uh, the travel ban and how they try to override intelligence assessments. I know that because I was on the receiving end of them bullying um, and trying to push their false information and trying to include it in assessments that was actually, that's not how intelligence works. Um, and, you know, we talked about the censoring media. Donald Trump has been calling. He still said he's coming after MSNBC. He recently said that, right? He called for the death of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's the real weaponization of the federal government against the people. And, and as you know, I mean, you, you have dealt with this yourself where the Department of Justice has been involved. In your scenario, I think, you know, there are other situations where the Department of Justice was uh, pulling people's phone records, journalists' phone records. Remember that scenario where they, where they were pulling phone records? I, I mean, do. what is happening here? That is, that is an authoritarianism kind of event. Yeah, but I don't um, think there's anybody else other than me in this country so far. And I use that word so far. He was unconstitutionally remanded to prison because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. I mean, the fact that they're going in and looking at phone records, um, it's Putinesque. I mean, it's exactly what, you know, a Kim Jong-un or a Mohammed bin Salman does. These, these are, as you stated, absolutely authoritarian ideas. And this is how they conduct business in their country. And I'm just, I, what I don't understand is I get what Jim is trying to do. And I understand you being a Republican brought in by Democrats, of course, has to upset him because anybody that tries to change the narrative of what they're trying to effectuate is clearly the enemy, right? I just don't understand. There are many people, and this is not to take anything away from you. You should be honored that, you know, that they decided to bring you back to talk about the same thing. I just don't understand. There, if you really want to talk about social media, why not bring in people from social media? I mean, that's not what you did for the federal government. That wasn't your that wasn't your job. Yeah, I was a homeland security and counterterrorism advisor. I was worried about bad things happening. 
it should be if you're talking about the weaponization of the federal government, which is why I was talking. Because I've got, I was like, I lived this. I saw this firsthand. If you, you know, if you really want to talk about this in a bipartisan way, let's have a serious conversation about the current, like, leading Republican candidate for the GOP nom and what he did and what he is planning to do in the future with the federal government that is unlawful, that is unconstitutional. But, you know. And by the way, the funny thing is, that wouldn't even be you making up hypotheticals about what Donald intends to do. All you are doing is regurgitating what he has already said. He's going to rewrite the Constitution. Not Michael Cohen saying it, not Olivia Troy saying it. That's Donald saying it. The first thing he's doing is rewriting the Constitution. Another thing he said is that he's going to change the tripartite system of government. No more judiciary. No more House of Representatives. No more no more Congress. And no more legislature. There's going to be all power conferred to the executive branch. And, as you said, he's, he wants to execute Mark Milley, Joint Chief of Staff. He's going to be your vengeance. Not his vengeance. It's your vengeance. Right? He's going to go after journalists, politicians, Member, other members of you know of Congress, a judge that ruled against him, Supreme Court judges. He's going to go against civilians, like what he did to me. How many times have you heard me, Olivia, say, both on camera, like with this show, other shows, and when you and I would just sit down and have a cup of coffee, that my intent and why I do the things that I do is to ensure that what happened to me. The unfucking constitutional remand of Michael Cohen back, you know, on December 14th, um, we're going before the Second Circuit here in New York. The unconstitutional remand of me back to solitary confinement because I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. It, it's already being taught in law schools. It is not. It is not Joe Biden who did this. It is Donald Trump who did this. And I don't want to see what happened to me happen to anyone else. It is miserable. The 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 PTSD you suffer, the the anxiety, the stress, the you know, the just the shredding of your soul from it. It is everything opposite of what you started to learn in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade about United States Constitution and constitutional rights. He's going to strip us all of them. Yeah, and he's going to have. He tried his damnedest before. Remember, you stupid motherfuckers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash COVID and get on your way to being. Your best self. I mean, here's the end of the year. It's always tough years of this or some hardship. And soon, and with Project 2025, first month, that's better help. H-E-L-P.com slash COVID. Given what they have planned with Project 2025, which I'm sure you're familiar with, yes. the foundation, which is frightening. If you go through and you read through that, it's frightening. And why, And the reason it's even more frightening to me, Michael, is I know the people that are writing it. And I yeah, also know that uh, some of these people were in the Trump administration, and I know what they did, right? And the, and the things that, the thing is that they've learned, they've learned from that, round one, and 
warning people that what happened to you, you're trying to prevent that from happening to others. And you're exactly right. And I think that is what drives many of us who've been outspoken is we have lived this and we know what this is and we know the danger that lies ahead. And we are, we're going right towards it. Um, and there's still, there are so many in the Republican party who continue to do his bidding, um, case in point, this committee, right? And so, I mean, those are the things that actually in the discussion, I feel like should have been brought up and I, and you know, I tried to bring it up. One of the things actually that I, I thought was interesting, they didn't, they didn't really like this example, was that I said, look, uh, Florida is, you know, has, been, has voted, voted for Donald Trump. They are looking pretty red now. And uh, just to be clear, Ron DeSantis is one of his enemies right now. He's a political opponent. Should Donald Trump come back into office? Should there be a horrific hurricane in Florida? Think about the fact that there's going to be someone with a whole circle of enablers, loyalists, who are not going to release that disaster relief because he's going to be angry at the person who's the governor of Florida and he's going to penalize Americans, everyday Americans who are in need after a horrible situation like that. Think about scenarios like that because that's what's coming. And it's not going to be about the average American living in that state and what they're suffering from. It's going to be about the vendetta against someone that he hates, right? Because that's how he operates. That's how he makes decisions. I mean, that's why he didn't allow the California wildfires to natural relief. It doesn't matter. It doesn't doesn't matter about the citizens, even the ones that voted for him. It's the fact that his anger, his hatred towards Ron DeSanctimonious, right, is so great that he's willing to punish the entire state of people in need simply for his own (laughs) gratification. That's the epitome of a narcissistic sociopath. But I wanted them to ask you this. You think that journalists and supposed free speech advocates like um, Michael Schellenberger or um, Matt Taibbi are being honest with the public? What's what's their angle as you know it? I mean, it seemed like they had a very one-sided narrative mm-hmm. where they have, you know, pulled mm-hmm. uh, certain documents and treasure trusts where they believe that they can say that they can show this weaponization that happened and they are adamant that there is censorship and they're, you know, they try to flip the script on everyone. They, they, they try to claim that they are the big believers in free press. You know, they went pressed actually. It was interesting. Uh, they were questioned and said, so how do you feel about terrorism? You think like what Olivia talked about, you think that those, um, do you think those images should stay up? If you're a believer that everything should be stay up and we should not be censoring anything then what's your argument for that? Are you okay with these violent acts being out there? Are you okay with supporting terrorist propaganda or terrorist organizations on social media? Is that is that freedom? Is that is that First Amendment? What what is that to you? And of course, then they got a little bit like, no, no, we don't support terrorism. Like, I mean, but but they had just argued the complete opposite of it should be completely free and open. Um, and that it's targeted and all of that. And so it was just interesting to hear that. You know, I heard one of them they were advocating for the abolishment of CISA, a department at the Department of Homeland Security. And I kind of wanted to be like, you idiots. I was like, you don't even know what CISA does, clearly. You don't understand that they actually work on critical infrastructure protection, which, by the way, 
protects like you know when there's like the hijacking or cyber attacks on gasoline companies or things like that like electrical grid, like power grids right. power grids right i mean so you're going to abolish an agency that works to protect us from that that works with the department of energy i mean that that's your plan because you are adamant that there is this cyber army that's in cahoots coordinating that that is that is anti conservative voices and republicans by the way they kept stressing that they are you know they are they're they're two democrats uh former democrats trying to help this scenario because they feel so terrible that conservatives and republicans are being censored and i'm like it was just you know Uh, I mean, I'd love to hear all of this. Like, did, so, they, did they say who these people are? No, they went down the list. I mean, uh, you know, some of them, like Rep. Massey, I will tell you, went off on me, and he said that you believe members of Congress should be censured. I, I never thought, that's not what I was saying. But I will say, I was thinking to myself, if you're going to Right. 
that is probably the only reason that they held him accountable, is that they didn't fear him at all. It's very, very true. So, look, I want to go back to Jim Bang Jordan again, because, I, look, I really have disdain for the guy from literally when he was the assistant coach of Ohio State before uh, the charges that of sexual abuse to his, you know, to his athletes and so on, and all the way to when I appeared seven times before congressional committees. Most people aren't aware of that. I testified seven times before Congress, only once was it public. But what kind of a leader would you say that Jim Bank is? Because he was he was supposedly gonna be the guy, right? The guy without the jacket who was gonna unify the Republican Party. In your opinion, how do you think that's going for him so far? <laughs> no, he is I mean he is one of the worst of the worst. Right? He represents probably the worst that MAGA Manga is. He's like the poster child for it. And I think, you know, I think he's dangerous because I think he does these sham committees to help spread their own propaganda and fulfill their own agenda and loyalty to Trump. I think he's one of his henchmen. We saw what he did on January 6th. We know he was like one of the main leaders for that. We saw what that led to. We saw the violence that it led to. Um, yet nothing, nothing has been ha happened to Jim Jordan, right? I mean, nothing. There's been no accountability for him. In fact, I think he feels empowered. The only thing that happened is that, thank goodness, he didn't get the Speaker of the House, right? Thank goodness. Can you imagine him? Which that just was goes one to show you, he's not nearly as popular. He's certainly not a unifier, but he's not nearly as popular with the party as he thinks he is. He might be popular with Donald, but see, here's the thing that Jim doesn't understand, and... Jim, since I know that you listen to the show, let me sort of give you a little bit of advice. While you're sitting there and providing fealty to Donald, 100% loyalty because you've made a complete asshole out of yourself again and again and again. When push comes to shove, the only thing that's going to get pushed under the bus is going to be you. And the guy standing behind you, pushing you underneath that bus is going to be Donald. And then you're going to turn around and you're going to bang yourself in the head and you're going to say, what the fuck was I thinking? I've seen Donald do it to everybody. Everyone. From Mike Cohen to, to, Mark, to Mike Pence to Mark Meadows. He wanted Mike Pence to get hung. Who do you think you are? You think you're special? You're not special. You're, you're disposable. Yeah, I mean, just, well, can we go back to George Santos for a second? Because obviously, you know, after that incredibly damning report, and he was voted out by a plus two-thirds majority. Right. I mean, look, not only did he defraud the voters to get into office, but based upon that report, guy is a absolute fucking career criminal. So the question I have for you, why didn't the Republicans properly vet this guy before they ran him? I mean, that, that is the wildest part, actually. I mean, that, that this is the candidate they chose to run, and they backed him. And I think that shows, I mean, that's how we end up with the sort of Republican Party that we have right now, which is a horrible thing, right? I mean, I was looking, actually, I was looking up the committee uh, when I was testifying, and I was looking at where Liz Cheney should have been sitting yeah. instead of that uh, insane woman that sits in her chair now. 
And I was thinking about it, and I actually said this to him, um, you know, we were talking about threats and harassment of people being doxxed, you know how that goes. Um, we've both gotten the death threats, and I talked about that, and I was like, you know, it's really, it's really unfortunate and just really upsetting that there are decent public servants, decent former Republican members of Congress that chose not to run for re-election because they didn't want to face the death threats that they were getting because they voted to convict Trump during that second impeachment because they voted against him because they were honoring their oath to the Constitution and following the rule of law and they chose not to run again because they didn't want to put their families through it because they were already being harassed. They were upping their security. I mean, this is what what happens at stake. The fact that I had to, you know, I actually, my security testified before this committee because I knew. I knew that it, that it was going to get heated again and I was going to get the harassing phone calls and threats and just, you know, break myself to see people showing up in my house. Um, you know, it, and that's, that's the environment that we're in that they cultivated. There are people like Gordon and others created uh, with, with Trump. Right, that is that is what has happened here, and it's just you know. So here we are. We ended up with George Santos serving in contract con- in Congress, and now you know, yeah, it was a historic moment that they actually voted to remove this idiot. Um, but again, why are they garnering support and backing individuals like this? There's there's, there's no there's no way it's but not only do you have people like Santos, but then you have Santos' biggest backer, Elise Stefanik, right? And I scratch my head, I scratch my head sometimes so hard as a result of watching the news or reading these reports, sometimes I'm, I'm bleeding, right? I mean, why, Elise, why, when the evidence against him was so damning from the very fucking beginning. One, he's not Jewish. Number two, he didn't play volleyball for Baruch. Three, you can go on and on. Forget it. And the evidence is so damning against him. No normal person, no reasonable person would turn around yeah, and say, hey, I got to back this guy. I mean, you're so right when you say, like, you look at the seat that, um, that Liz Cheney, you know, um, used to occupy or Adam Kinzinger, right? I mean, for God's sakes, Adam Kinzinger was a, was a veteran. He's a guy who put his life on the line for the country. And because he wouldn't go along with the big lie. And what did Trump do? He they went out against him. And his base was strong enough within which to get the guy removed. I mean, and so instead, what do you get? You get at least Stefanik. You get you get the Matt Gaetzes. You get the George Santos. You get. I mean, give me a fucking break already. I mean, this is who America wants to have that congressional in. It's almost like a joke. Yeah, it doesn't just harm the citizens in that district, right? The Americans in that district, or the constituents in that district. It harms all of us in the end because these are voting members on legislation, right? Things that are going to impact the entire country and they say then you have some this like illusional guy, this criminal sitting there um, doing this. But you know, I think what they saw was opportunity. Uh, they back him. Another opportunity to manipulate an individual that's going to do their bidding. Those are the kinds of people that I think that they want. Those are the kinds of people that they are going to back in future elections. Right, that where they think that they can control them, 
They're going to follow the party line, even if it's, you know, uh, sedition, conspiracies, whatever it is. They want loyal soldiers in the Republican Party to run for Congress so that they march together. And that is one thing that the right does very effectively, I'll say. They band together, and it's very hard to break through any of their messaging because it's a machine. They, they work closely with the right-wing media, far-right media, the RNC gets involved. It's one big machine that rose together. Okay, but, but, since Trump won the election in 2016, he, did he had it. basically been the catalyst of the party losing race after race after race. I mean, they, they, which is insane. Which is right? So my question to you, I mean, my question to you is, why do you think that the Republican Party hasn't quit him or Trumpism yet? Instead, they stick with him. Again, is going to once again, if history repeats itself, but God, we all hope that it does. They will then lose again 2018, 2020, 2022, and they will lose 2024. And there's a there's a really good chance that the House will end up switching back to Democrats. And then we can get rid of Jim Jordan. I mean, all of these real committee hearings that they're trying to people like Dan Coleman, uh, Moskowitz, or Jamie Raskin, right, that they want to bring forward to the American people. And they're in goose step with him. Okay. Stop saying Diaper Donald won into 2016. He lost by 3 million votes, remember? And they are in goose step. Goose step with him. Republicans are uh, in goose step with him because he's got uh, Republicans are in goose step with him because he's got dirt on them all. That would give answers no, no to things available. that we are entitled to know. It's going to be another loss as the result of the party, Republican Party refusing to quit Trump. So my question to you, why? Yeah, I mean, look, I ask that every single day because he is so damaging to the Republican Party, but he's a poster child for it. Michael Cohen... Uh... Go subscribe. Okay, I'm going to tag. 
Christopher Perez, Arizona, Progressive Movement, Tucson Democrats, Democrats only, Young Democrats of America, Midas Touch, ASU School of Social Work, Half Post UK Politics, Occupy Democrats, Democrats only, <clears throat> United for Democracy. Democrats abroad, Catholic Democrats, Democrats. Let's see, twenty friends you like, Occupy Democrats. ASU Sharing Facebook groups What? What happened? And you know what? He raises money. He raises money. Oh my gosh, they're still there. Amazing. <clears throat> money. He raises money for the Republican National Committee. But they're losing, Olivia. I don't care Which how much money you Thank raise. It. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point to raise money if you're not winning your if you're not winning your race? I mean, I don't know how many times they're gonna go through this they and not send not actually learn their lesson. But it clearly they they don't want to rattle their base and they believe that that is where the GOP is and it shows that they're just out of touch. They're out of touch with the average American that's out there, and they're pandering to an extreme arm of the party that has basically hijacked it. And I mean, and so you know what? They deserve it. They deserve to lose. Great. So they have they money in their coffers, right? They have money in their coffers for Botox only fans, right? <laughs> Hermes and, uh, you know, uh, whatever else the guy ended up buying, you know, for himself. But you're losing your race. Or, Right, you're gonna start. I think you're gonna see more people like Santos get get tossed out. But the funny thing is, Olivia, you and I both know Donald better than the average person. And the funny thing is, Donald legitimately has no regard for his voter base. In fact, again, I don't want people to think, oh, it's Michael Cohen making shit up about that. Here's what Donald said about. This specific voter base. I like the poorly educated. It is a slightly nicer way of saying I like stupid, uneducated people because, right, he can pull the wool over their eyes. You've heard him say stuff like that behind closed doors, as, as, uh, as have I, right? I mean, he does not relate to these voters at all. So my question no, is, why the hell are they sticking with him? You know, I think I think it goes to the effectiveness of this propaganda machine. Unfortunately, um, I think he's very effective at at selling himself as the champion for them. I think they like the renegade. Um, I, you know, I think they like the fact that he is like, damn everyone. Uh, you know, um, he, you know, the deep state narrative is very effective with these people because they're 
angry at the government for whatever reason, and he uses these types of things. But the sad part is, he has such, like, disgust for them. And he expresses this, right? Like, so many people that have worked for Donald Trump or been around him, we've all heard what he says about these people. And he really just detests them. He wants nothing to do with them. He doesn't want to be in the room with them. Um, but yet, he... it. They feed his ego, though, right? That's what they serve. And so he, it, it's like this bizarre thing where he has this army of followers that he can't stand. He wants to never really be associated with them. They are with, the, I mean, do you think he, he doesn't want these people down? He doesn't even want to shake their hands. He walks around with these oh, no. alcohol swabs after yeah. he touches them. So look, Olivia, I have. Those are disgusting people, his words. Yeah. Disgusting. Disgusting. I have, so look, I have like two questions really left for you and this is one that deals with your old boss because i really want to talk about mike pence for a quick second here he is likely to be a star witness in jack smith's dc election interference case it's going to begin in march and that of course interferes with the case i'm supposed to be a key witness in and that's the manhattan district attorney case but now that mike pence is not running for president you think that he'll finally tell the entire truth about Trump, or is he going to continue to be selective in what he says? Is he going to continue to try to protect his old friend, which, as you know, Donald never considered Mike Pence a friend. But do you think that he'll finally come clean, tell the entire truth about Trump? I think under oath, um, especially, I think, I think he will. I think, I think he'll tell the truth. Um, I would hope. I mean, I don't know that he has anything more to lose. He didn't, uh, you know, succeed in his, his run for the GOP nomination. Um, I think that was part of the reason um, that he withheld a lot of it. You know, I was really disappointed in the fact that he didn't, um, that he wasn't more outspoken about everything in the lead up to January 6th and, and the aftermath of it. Um, that has been one of the things that I felt like he could have changed the trajectory of the way things went in the Republican Party. And I think we'd be in a better place as as a country. But and so I I hope that he will. I mean, you know, it's been it's been awful just to kind of see, quite frankly, some of the cowardice of Mike Pence. Um Although he did do the right thing on actually that day, yeah, so I, mean, I, I don't, I don't give him as much you know credit. What I mean? as some like, do. yeah. But it's um, but it, but it is cowardice to say that he was worried about hurting Donald Trump. I think there's reporting that just came out this week about that and how he was concerned about it and, you know, crossing. I know that he was scared of crossing Donald Trump. Um, I saw that multiple times, but it just goes to show sort of the dynamic of these individuals with Trump and like why they live in fear of him. Um, you know what, you know, can, I, can I jump in and say something, Olivia? Because this, I so agree with what you're saying. Mike Pence could have been a transformative figure for the Republican Party. Early on, he, look, there are things that he obviously knew that were going on, did absolutely nothing about, and there comes a point in everybody's life, mine included, that you have an epiphany and you move whatever that you have done for whomever you've done he could have been that transformative figure not just for the republican party but for america and i think the fact that he has not done so for me it kind of makes me think that the gop is beyond repair well i certainly don't see the gop 
going back to traditional conservatism anytime soon. No. I think that that I think the old GOP is is dead. And the, new, and the new GOP is unfortunately Trumpism. So look, Olivia, my last question to you, it's an easy one because it's about you. <laughs> you've been elected to be the, and congratulations on this, by the way. So you've been elected to be the executive director of the 97%. So for my listeners, all right, what is the 97%? What is the mission and how can people get involved? Because I know if you're involved in something, that it's got to be big. Thank you. Yeah, we're so we're a foundation that really focuses on reducing gun deaths by including gun owners in the conversations and bringing them to the table and really actually doing the research that's required, uh, talking to gun owners and actually finding the common ground on red flag laws, universal background checks. I think a lot of the time, um, gun owners get painted in a broader paintbrush about the fact that they're, you know, that they're not going to support these types of things. They're not going to support this type of legislation. And it's actually, we're finding like, it's not true. I mean, we all think that we deserve better. We don't want to live this way. And so it's really about that. We also, I think one of the more most unique things is that we also invest in technology. Um, for example, we take we invest in like smart safe smart holsters mm-hmm. um, for guns, and with um, with also technology like apps with a smart holster. One of them is called Vara Safety, where it notifies someone that someone is accessing that safe and accessing the gun. Um, with so many suicides, especially especially in the veterans community, that happened most um, most of the gun deaths actually are suicides, which is tragic. It, it, it allows, um, that app allows for notification of a loved one saying that an individual is accessing the gun and the hope is to prevent, hopefully prevent suicides and make a difference in that way. And so we are really just looking at this from a more holistic point of view of how do we save more lives um, by, by, by really actually uh, educating people about uh, responsible gun ownership and also, you know, I know that people, uh, the NRA gets a lot of the focus, right? And they are, um, and, but the reality is that they are a small minority of representation of how gun owners actually feel and what's really happening here. And so the goal is to really focus on states and educate people. And also to educate people about the laws in their states, right? Like when there's a red flag law, what does that mean? Uh, and also making sure that law enforcement is enforcing it in a way that is that is productive and that we're making a difference every single day okay but so tell my listeners how can they get involved with 97 percent on top sure. of that on top of that before even going to that i just want to because look i used to be a gun owner before i had the felony i'm going to go for my license to carry i had one of a thousand concealed licenses in new york and i went through a tremendous background check I had to federal, I had to uh, FBI uh, threat assessments against me. I had to justify the reason, especially in New York City, to have a concealed. We have undoubtedly, and it cannot be argued, an epidemic of gun violence in this country. The problem that I always see is that Republicans have turned the issue of gun safety into a Second Amendment rights argument instead of just dealing with it like a public health crisis which it is. And I just don't understand. When did Republicans become so pro-gun? In fact, Donald 
hates guns. I sat in his office as he bowled out Don Jr. and Eric for shooting animals. Oh, you big tough guys, you take a $10,000 rifle and you put a bullet in a fucking leopard's head. You know, big tough guys, why don't you kill it with a knife? And Don Jr.'s like, yeah, I'd kill the animal with a knife, right? Eric is like, you know, you're out of your mind. But it's true. When did Republicans become so pro-gun? Donald is not pro-gun. He's not pro-Second Amendment. He doesn't, until this, he didn't even know what the Second Amendment was. All of a sudden, he's the champion of Second Amendment rights. I mean, I don't get it. Well, the thing is, too, uh, what is sad about this issue is that it has become so incredibly politicized. And um, gun owners, they're, they're, they're not just Republicans. They're Democrats or independents. I mean, it crosses the gamut, right? Which is why we are, we're so focused in having more productive conversations. And I, you know, I, I, you know, given the, the makeup of the Congress right now, especially with MAGA being so much of a, a sort of um, a stronghold right now in Congress, that's really unfortunate because what we've also heard is that there are actually Republican members of Congress who are potentially know that this is a problem, that know that this is a very big challenge. Um, but the thing is, as you know, they will only leap and move forward on something if they do it together. And one of them by themselves is not going to stick their neck out. Right. I mean, and I mean, we saw what Senator Cornyn voted for a legislation. He actually championed legislation right after Uvalde. And I give him full credit for that. Yep. Um, but he was attacked for it. Right. I mean, he was criticized. Um, and, and that's how it goes. But he did the right thing. Um, and we're going to need more people like that to come together on it. Now, the only way that's going to happen is when we get rid of Trump and Trumpism. You know, I said in my book, Revenge, Trumpism is fascism, and it must be eradicated from our body politic. If not, I hate to say it, like the Canadian that thought she's a time traveler, the country's in serious trouble. But Olivia, it's always so good. Congratulations on being appointed the director. You keep me, in keep me posted, and I want to continue to help you to promote it, because I am a firm believer that this country is in a gun violence epidemic, and I stand with you on that one. And I want to thank you for joining me on Maya Culpa, and definitely going to need you back again. And we need to hear from you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, my friend. This is my Maya Cooper. Baby, don't love me, but tell you my story, don't grab me, yeah. <clears throat> Take my time, let's find out me. This is my big Cooper. Don't break it on down now. Break it on down, break it on down, break it on down.